Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, we are uh, we're telling the grand story, the Christmas story, actually, which is a part of the grand story. You know, the Bible is, uh, is a grand story. It is one grand overarching story of God's plan to redeem all of humanity and all of creation, to restore all of humanity to a relationship with Him and restore all of creation to its original order as He, uh, as he created it. And so it, it, the Bible is not just a collection of disjointed stories and teachings, it's, it all fits within this context of here's God's plan to reconnect you and me to God. And at Christmas time, God got really, really busy executing his plan. Uh, as we say, once upon a time, long, long ago, in a land far, far away, God pulled the trigger on this plan. And he did get very, very busy putting into motion his plan to redeem you and me, to redeem all of humanity from the destruction, from the terrible consequences uh, that we have set in motion by our sin and rebellion against God, by being separated from him. Now, last week in our story, we saw that God started this plan as recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, God started this plan by um, sending one of his main angels, Gabriel, to visit an old Jewish priest by the name of Zechariah. And he told Zechariah that through him and his wife Elizabeth, he was going to fulfill a hundreds of years old prophecy of sending a forerunner, of sending a an advanced man, if you will, of sending someone who would prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the people's hearts uh, to repent and return to God, to be ready for the long-awaited Messiah, prepare them for the one who he would send to take away the sin of the world. As the Scriptures say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he told Zechariah that there was going to be sort of a miraculous birth God's activity in his life and Elizabeth's because they were far beyond childbearing age. Uh, a very loose translation of Zechariah's words back to the angel was, we're old as dirt. And um, we're, uh, how can this possibly be? Yet they did conceive. And as we see in Luke chapter 1, a little later on, John the Baptist was born. John came, as the scriptures say, kind of in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not Elijah reincarnated. He was one who would operate with the same kind of octane of God that Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, operated with. And when we read the account later on of John's life and ministry, we find he was just that kind of guy. Just that kind of guy. Now, 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 six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. You're going to find this beginning in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, going through about verse 45, what we're going to read this morning, study this morning. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God turned to Gabriel once again, and he said, Gabriel, go. 
It's time to go. And this time he sent him uh, to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, ancient Palestine of 2,000 years ago, Palestine in the day of Jesus was comprised of three regions. We could call them three states, but they weren't that kind of, it was not that kind of legal border. Three regions of Palestine were Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Now, Judea was the southernmost region of Palestine. Samaria sat right on top of Judea, just to the north. Just to the north of Samaria was Galilee. This was Palestine. They were bordered on the east, sandwiched between the Jordan River on the east and the Mediterranean Sea on the west. That narrow strip of land that's had such a such an important part in human history still does today. Galilee. Now, Galilee was the most rural of the three. It was the backwoods. It was the sticks. It was where the country folk lived, like me growing up. It, it, it was, you know, it, small towns, rural. That was Galilee. And this is where uh, God sent Gabriel. He sent her, uh, sent him to a young lady who lived in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth uh, was a, um, uh, a town of about 15,000 scholars say at that time. So it's a little larger than I originally thought it was. It was nestled in a, in a hollow valley just to the north of the plain of Jezreel. It was surrounded on all sides by mountains except for the southern exposure to the city. Uh, Nazareth was about 70 miles or is still about 70 miles a little to the north and a little bit to the east of Jerusalem. It was the halfway point between Jerusalem, one of the major centers of business and religion and culture of the day, and the other areas, uh, Tyre and Sidon, which were in Phoenicia. And so it would be a stopping place, an, an overnight stay and, uh, for business persons going to and from. There was also a, uh, it was a military town. Uh, there was a base there, best way we would describe it today. A Roman garrison was stationed in Nazareth. and was a major, major influence uh, in the area. Now, Nazareth was an immoral town. It, it had all of the moral plagues uh, that s- towns and cities of a certain, that reach a certain size that are full of military action, full of business, you know, business centers, military centers. You know, it's it's been a plague worldwide down through history. All of that uh, was there. In fact, it was so immoral that there was a saying in Palestine. Uh, When someone would mention Nazareth, frequently people would say, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? Well, you might have been from one of those places. Uh, there are places like that today. It's interesting to me that the God of the universe not only invaded history. I mean, the history books tell us outside of the Bible that this, that this took place. Not only history, but he invaded places. This took place in certain places. You know, we're not, ta- we're not in this great story, we're not talking about Middle Earth here. We're not talking about the land of Oz 
here. We're talking about real places, Nazareth, Jerusalem. How many of you visited those places? Let me see really quick. Yeah, we got people all over. You've been there. You can go there today, real places. Christianity makes the outrageous claim that this is a story, but this is a true story. This is a story, but it is his story. It is history, his story. It really happened, and we've got to deal with that. This really happened, and it has implications for you and for me. Now, for the previous 400 years, God had been silent with his people. For the previous 400 years, God had given no more revelation or revealing of the scriptures to his people. It ended with the with Malachi, the prophet. And during that period of time, the Roman uh, empire had expanded, taken over that region, oppressed the Hebrew people, were in control of the region. And, and their hopes and dreams of the Messiah to come, prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, their hopes and dreams had been crushed. For some of them, it had been snuffed out completely. For they were saying, where is this God that we read about in our scriptures? Where, where is this God that our, our parents and our grandparents told us about? It's been 400 years. Uh, he's either dead or he's forgotten us or he doesn't exist at all. And many, 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 many of the Israelis had turned their back on, on God. God sent John the Baptist to get them ready to turn their hearts back so the Messiah would come. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like God's forgotten you? Do you? Maybe you're lonely. Do you experience the, de- experience the death of a spouse? Life's very, very lonely now. You're empty nesters. Your kids have gone on and seeking their own fortune, setting up their own lives. It's kind of lonely. You're suffering physically. You're suffering financially. You got big problems. You got a marriage that seems to be disintegrating. I mean, all, and you're wondering, where is God? Where is God? Well, let me just say, tell you God has not forgotten you. God at times may be silent, but He is not absent. God may be silent at times, but He is never inactive. He is always at work in your heart and in my heart, in my life and in your life, seeking our good. He has your best interest at heart. The very fact that you are here and that we are here with you today is evidence that God has not forgotten you. For somewhere in eternity past in God's sovereignty, you know, God sees the future as if it were the past. It's an eternal now to Him. He lives outside of time. God in eternity past determined to bring this church into being. At this time, in this community, at this time in history, at this place in your life and in my life, and the fact that Dogwood Church exists, and the fact that you are here is evidence that you are experiencing the providential hand of God in your life right now. Where is God? He's right here. He's right here. You're the reason we're here. God created this church to redeem people to Him and connect people in fellowship at this place, at this time, in this community. God is active in your life. He has not forgotten you. So listen for Him. Turn back. Listen for Him. He is here. Well, God sent Gabriel 
to a young virgin girl named Mary. Mary was young. Some scholars believe she might have been as young as 12 years old. But she was certainly a teenager. Let's say she was 15, 16, maybe 17 years old. A young girl. And she was a virgin. She was not sexually active. She had never been intimate with a man. Here she was living in a town of ill repute, not just a a community or a section of town, but a town of ill repute. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, a place of a lot of crooked business and a lot of sexual immorality? And yet here she was as a uh, the implication of the scriptures is she was pure-hearted, purity of life, purity of morals, purity of spirit, certainly expressed by uh, purity of uh, her sexual sanity. Uh, she was not, nor had been, sexually active. A young virgin girl named Mary. She was engaged to a man by the name of Joseph. We'll talk about him next week and a little bit more about what that engagement uh, meant. But she's just an ordinary girl from an ordinary family, living in an ordinary little town on the backside of an ordinary region of an ordinary part of the world, going about her ordinary business, preparing for an ordinary wedding to an ordinary man, and boom, God showed up. Something extraordinary was about to happen to her and through her that still affects you and me uh, today. Do, do you think yourself ordinary? You are. I am too. You know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't worry too much about us thinking that we're ordinary. It says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's our problem. I tend to think more highly of myself than I ought to think. Uh, You are ordinary. I am ordinary. Most people are ordinary. Uh, Do you think that means that you are not of value? Do you think that that means that all this God activities for those extraordinary, unusual people? No, 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 no. God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things for His glory and His good and His, and His purposes in this world. You consider yourself ordinary? Good. You are a candidate for God to use you magnificently. And you should expect Him to. You, that should be your default setting. Let that be your default setting. Expect God's activity in your life. Expect Him to come to you at the right time, at the right place with His message of hope. Expect Him to call you and move you as you go through your everyday uh, getting up, preparing breakfast, feeding the kids, go, driving them to school, going to work, coming home, hanging out at home, going to bed life. For it is in, not only does he use ordinary people, he shows up in the midst of the mundane. She was just going about normal life, a normal day, and boom, God's messenger showed up. You know, it's wonderful to do what we learned over the last six weeks or so of spending time alone with God daily. It's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's, it's powerful to withdraw weekly on a, and have a day of Sabbath rest as God intended to enjoy His presence and His blessing. It's, it's, 
magnificent to move away monthly and get a little extra time with God. Uh, it's great to abandon annually, as I recommend it, to get a day or a, an overnighter alone with God for extended times of silence and prayer and time in the Scriptures. Arrange your life to do that. Those are good. I recommend all of those. But do not wait for those special times to meet with God. He is the God who shows up. He is the God who is with us. He is the God who invades and moves in the midst of the mundane. So are you ordinary? Is your life mundane? Good. Good. You're just the kind of person and you're living just the kind of life that, that God uses magnificently. Expect it. Expect Him. Enjoy Him. Well, that's what He did with Mary. That's what he did with her. Well, the angel came to Mary. Gabriel came to Mary, and he said to her, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was... Now, what does that mean? It means to be favored by God. The Lord is with you. It means that you are a recipient of God's grace. Mary was a recipient of God's grace. No doubt that she was a person of high moral character, but she was a person like you and me who is in need of God's grace. We need God's grace. God's grace has is given many definitions, but the one I like the most is this. It's God giving us what we do not deserve. Yeah, I'd be real careful about using your name and deserve in any sentence. I, don't, please don't ever use it with me. Oh, you deserve this, Pastor. You de- no, 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 no. No, grace is not something you deserve. Grace is God's favor, His goodness, His blessing, uh, his, his making you whole in all that you ought to be and can be and could be and not deserve it. He said, Mary, you're, you're graced by God. Well, she didn't say, wow, thanks for dropping by. This is cool. This is nice. I appreciate you greeting me. You know, Again, it was not an everyday normal thing for people to encounter angels. As I said last week, we tend to think that people in Bible times just had angels hanging around the house. All the time. No, no, no. It was as unusual to encounter an angel then as it is today. In fact, most of the time the Scriptures say that if, if we do engage with an angel, we don't realize that they are. And so um, she was instead troubled by this. She was deeply troubled by his greeting and his statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So Mary did, and something that I want to encourage you to do, and, and me to do when we are encountering God and the things of God. And some of you who are skeptics, some of you who are doubters, some of you who are, this is new to your life. You're, you're trying to understand the claims of Christ. She did some furious thinking. She did some furious evaluating here. This little word, wondering, what kind of greeting this would be. The word wondering is a, is a Greek word that, that literally can mean to logic through something. It means she, she paused and said, now wait a minute, wait, what is happening here? What does this mean? Is this a hallucination? Is this really happening uh, to me? Is this a dream? Am I seeing things? Uh, she reacted just like you and I would. She reacted like maybe you, you who were skeptics or doubters would. Now, what is this? What's going on? I'm trying to think this through. What is God? Is God really doing something with me? Am I, am I hearing Him right? Is this, is this so? Well, then the angel told her something outrageous. He told her who Jesus is and why he was coming. Now, we, she didn't understand it all probably at this point. We 
who have the Gospel of Luke and who've been looking back on the story all these years, we see the whole picture of who Jesus is and why He came. But when you're reading the Gospel of Luke, He wrote it as a way of leading people to faith, and He kind of rolls out and reveals the full person and work and identity of Jesus as He goes along through the Gospel of Luke. It'd be interesting for you to go back and read it that way. But He... He says some th- major things here about who Jesus is and why he was coming. He said, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have found favor with God. You have been graced by God. This is a good thing. I'm here because God has a good surprise for you. I read an article about Mary's encounter with God's angel this past week, and I like the title of it. It was called Tidings of Chaos and Joy. Oh, tidings of chaos and joy. Now, that's a better description of what happens in our life when God the Holy Spirit comes upon us and says, uh, I'm tapping you, I'm, pull, I'm pulling you aside for this. It's not always comfort and joy. Many times it creates chaos. It created chaos in Mary's life, so she shows up pregnant. Joseph says, really? She goes to her mama. I'm expecting a child. She's from Nazareth, remember? And she says, who's the father? Oh, there's not one. God did it. Right. You know, you know all, the, yeah, all through school. Boy, you should have heard the lunchroom that day. Chaos. There was chaos in her life. But she was assured of God's activity. So don't be surprised that God calls you out to take action that might bring a little chaos and discomfort to your life. Oh, tidings. Let's, we can make that of chaos and joy. Yeah, that's what happened here to Mary. But the, but the angel said, no, but this is good. God has your best interest at heart. And he reveals several things about Jesus here. He says, listen, you will conceive and become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He says several things about Jesus here. He says, first of all, he would be born of a virgin, just like the prophet Isaiah prophesied approximately 800 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's saying he's God, he's God, and he's coming to be with us, not just out there, up there. He's coming up close and personal. He's God, and he's coming to be with us. He will be called Jesus, meaning, and Jesus literally means the Lord saves The Lord is salvation. He he tells His purpose. He's coming to save you and me, save people from their sins and restore them fully to God. He says He will be great. Now, earlier, last week, Gabriel told uh, told Zechariah that his son John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord. But here he gives another description of Jesus. He says, He'll just be great. That was, a, that was a term in the Hebrew Scriptures that was reserved for God the Father. He's saying, God's going to show up. 
God is showing up. He will be the son of the Most High. In the Semitic languages, this term son of the Most High, in the Semitic languages means a carbon copy of the Most High. It means, it means it's him showing up. He will fulfill the prophecy of coming in from King David's line, and he will be eternal and immortal. His kingdom will never end. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, who's he describing? He's describing the Messiah? Well, all the Israelis thought that the Messiah was going to be political, was going to be military, was going to be a human leader, a high-octane leader who would come in, certainly be religious, but primarily uh, rally Israel, overthrow the rule of Rome, reestablish the, the political uh, prominence of the nation of Israel, just like it was back in the day of King David. They had misconceptions of the Messiah. They had misconceptions of God. Here, Gabriel is declaring, no, 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 no. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He will reign and rule in the hearts of men. This Messiah is God Himself. He is Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is no less than God Himself. Let there be no mistake about it. And this is what the Bible claims about Jesus. The early church, when they received this message, began to realize, wow, our God is a triune God. Now, our Muslim friends and our Jewish friends and others believe that we Christians are polytheistic, that we have three gods. We do not. We have one God. God is one. We are monotheistic. God is one, but He manifests Himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's called the what? The Trinity. You remember, how many of you grew up in the Baptist church and had the Baptist Baptist hymnal? Hymn number one was what? Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Said Trinity. Boom, you get it right here. Right here. Right here. And, and so I don't know what your conception of Jesus has been. Some say, well, he was just a great prophet, but not God. No, that's not what the scripture claims. That's not what he claims. Oh, he was a um, he was a great moral example. No, no, that's not all he was. Uh, he was a great teacher. No, not not that. He is God. He is God who comes to be with us. How can that be? How can that be? The, the creator of the universe who exists outside of his creation coming into his universe, not, on, not in any magnificent manner, but becoming, taking on the form of a single cell in the womb of a young woman that he created. When Jesus was, Jesus was born, and he's the only person ever born who was older than his mama and daddy when he was born, the day he was born. He was God from eternity past. He is God who is with us. Well, uh, Mary did some furious thinking about this. And, and Mary asked the angel, how can this be? She said, how can I conceive and have a child since I've not been intimate with a man? How is this possible? So Mary understood how human reproduction works. It's interesting to me that God used Luke, the great historian who was also a physician, who really understood more than the average person walking around on the planet that day about human anatomy and, 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 and how health 
happened in human reproduction. He understood all that. He's the one that declares the virgin birth. Wow. And, and so she says, how, how, could this, how could this be? You know, she didn't just say again, well, cool, let's do that. No, it was, she had honest doubts. She expressed some honest, honest doubts. How can, tell me, God, how can this work? How does this possibly work? There are two ways to doubt God. One is pleasing to him, the other is not pleasing to him. There is an honest doubt that questions and says, I, I, I don't understand these things, God. How can, help me, these are million dollar questions, uh, help me, and you, and, but you want to know and, and you continue to question and, and seek. God loves that kind of questioning. In fact, in Jeremiah, the writings of Jeremiah the prophet, he says, Call to me, ask me, and I will answer you and show you great and wonderful things you don't know. You have doubts? Good, 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 good. Be an honest doubter. Be a good doubter. And, and run with those to God. Again, it, this, is a, this church is a great place to come and ask million-dollar questions. We don't have all the answers, but we'll have some. And we know who does. And we know it's free and fun to enter into God seeking truth and seeking to understand it. He says, call to me. Ask me. But there's another kind of doubt that is cynical. It is skeptical. It's actually not real doubt at all. It's a, it is a cynical dismissing of God and His truth. Huh, how could that be possible? Whatever. It's a cowardly doubting because it doesn't really want to know. That's dangerous. Doubt. But be an honest doubter. Well, Mary had honest doubts here. She expressed honest doubts, and so Gabriel answered. He did a little more explaining uh, to Mary in verse 35. He said to her, okay, here's how this is going to take place. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Gabriel told Mary that the Holy Spirit would make this happen to her. He said, God's going to do this. Well, and he didn't leave it there. She didn't ask for a sign, but he gave her one. He said, uh, if you'd like to see God's activity at work already, go visit your relative Elizabeth. <gasps> wow, this is where we learn for the first time that Elizabeth, wife of Zechariah, the Jewish priest, was a relative, some scholars say, a cousin of Mary. They were related. They knew each other. And he says, God's already been active in her life. She who was barren is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and God was up to this. Go talk to her. Get living proof. And, and we see a little later on in Luke chapter 1 that that's exactly what Mary did. When she finished this conversation with Gabriel, she made arrangements, and as quickly as she could, she traveled, traveled to the Judean hill country to visit her relative Elizabeth and stayed there with her three months rejoicing over what God was doing. He gave her a sign. You know, one of the great, one of the great evidences of the reality of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are the thousands upon thousands of lives that he has transformed for the better. And I'm, I'm one of those. I'm one of those. 
Are you one of those? How many of you are saying, I'm one of those? Come on, let's see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look around. Talk to some of these people. You probably know some of them. You say, I'm a satisfied customer. <laughs> Try it. I tried it. You'll like it. You'll like Jesus. What great evidence down through. Read, read the history books. Read the story of people's lives who are transformed by the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Gabriel said, go see somebody. God's already been active in her life, and she did. How can this be, she says. Gabriel says, how can this be? Here's how it can be. God is. God is. God is real. And with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, maybe, you, maybe you're thinking now, this couldn't possibly be true. I mean, you're not a jerk about it. You, you really don't want to hinder other people's faith. But this idea of the creator of the universe stepping into his own creation, this idea of God coming to earth and sacrificing his own self for the sins of, these, of, of people, angels appearing to human beings, virgins, real virgins, conceiving children apart from any male participation, natural life just doesn't work that way. Well, you're right. But God's not natural. He's what? He's supernatural. That means he's outside of nature. He's above nature. He is outside. He is the creator. He exists outside of and above creation. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is uh, ever-present. Therefore, if he is the one who created natural order and the laws of the universe, he is the one powerful enough that when he desires to, he can hit the pause button and override natural processes. So if God exists, all things are possible. All things are possible. I was in a class one time, and the professor was telling about a question he got from a student who was a cynic, and he said, yeah, 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 if God can do all things, here's the one. Can he, can he make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Say, you've heard it too. And our prof said, uh, yes, he can. And then he'd pick it up anyway. He, he's, he's all powerful. Nothing's impossible with God. And so... Uh, Mary responded in faith. She said, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. The word really there is slave. Doulos. I am, I am the Lord's slave. Slaves have owners, don't they? Right? 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 This is one time in human history in one scenario in which slavery is a very good thing, being a slave of Jesus Christ. But Mary's admitting, not only is he my God, I, he own, you own me. You own me. I am not my own. I am your slave. Let it be done unto me as you say. She worshiped. She responded with worship. She, and worship is submission. Worship is surrender. That's what the Lord meant in, in his word in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or according to the great mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your worship. Surrender, submission to God. And that's what Mary did. We don't make deals with God. We surrender. We give ourselves 
to a God who already gave himself to us. That's why you can trust him. He's proven himself trustworthy. Let's pray. Let's pray. Here's, here's several groups here. Just turn the place where you're seated into your own private place of prayer. Bow your heads. Some of you here are new to this. You, this, you may, this may be the first time you've been hearing clearly the claims of Christ. And you say, I really need to hear more. Good. Let me just encourage you. Be an honest seeker, even an honest doubter. Keep coming. Keep coming. You just keep coming back, and we'll keep explaining uh, the Scriptures and wrestling with questions. Some of you are doubters. You would even call yourself a, a cynic, a skeptic. Let me just encourage you from your heart right now to decide to be an honest doubter, not a dishonest. A doubter who really does want to know and is willing to pursue an answer. You might even pray to God something honest like this. God, I do not even know if you exist, but if you do exist, I want, I'm willing for you to show me. That's a good honest prayer, right? Some of you are ready to be redeemed, to be reconciled to God, to be saved. And so from your heart, right now, take a moment and admit your sinfulness to God. Tell Him of your belief in the Lord Jesus, that He died on the cross for you to pay your penalty and rose from the dead and is available to transform you. And now ask Him to do it. Ask Him to take control of your life in eternity. Ask Him to come into your life. Submit yourself to Him as His slave. To the best of my understanding, Lord, I give ownership of my life in eternity to You, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin. Reconcile me to Yourself. Give me new and abundant life. I give myself to You. Many of us here did not live a life of sexual purity and integrity like Mary. And some of us are suffering consequences of that here even decades later. You didn't, you'd say, and some of you have never come to Christ for cleansing from that. Give yourself that gift this Christmas, this morning. You might just admit to the Lord Jesus, I, I have not lived a life of sexual purity. I've not lived a life of sexual sanity. For some of you, it may be, may be adultery. For some of you, it just may be premarital sex. For some of us, it's addiction to pornography. But now, 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 come to the, come to the one who loves you enough and is powerful enough to bring healing and cleansing. Admit it to him. So I'm too embarrassed. Well, don't be embarrassed. He already knows it. He knows us, loves us, Confess it to Him. He says in His Word, if you, are, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who need cleansing, in particular uh, from sexual sin. Set those free who are addicted. Empower those who are out of control to follow you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much 
that you came to be near us, to be the God who is with us. Even in the silence, we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.